Employer brand isn't something you sprinkle on your recruiting like magic fairy pixie dust to kind of make it better. It is both a craft and a calling. If that's the kind of work you want to do with your employer brand, come join me, James Ellis, at the Talent Cast. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. It's that time again. What's up, folks? You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. And I'm Chad. Just got flagged. So wash. Oh, shit. Red flags everywhere on this episode. We are happy to introduce Ben. He made her moan as from (laughs) from Frama.io. Ben is CEO and founder of the company. Ben, welcome to HR's Most Dangerous Podcast. Hell yeah. Thank you, Chad and Joel. Pleasure to be here. Appreciate you guys bringing me on. Right on. You are a brave man. Good for you. Chad, get him. <laughs> you heard the podcast where we talked about Fama. Um, Joe Rogan, which is pretty awesome because a few people listen to his podcast. Uh, he called out Just a couple. Right? Yeah, he called out Fama. He called out uh, uh, an actual situation that happened, and a person was sharing uh, some of the Fama reports that their their company sent to them on Twitter. And that was really, I mean, that was a, a triggering event. 300 pages. 300 pages. <laughs> yeah. And know, multiple tweets per page, all that other fun stuff. But anyway, I mean, from our standpoint, to be able to hear about this, I mean, this is obviously crosses over into what we talk about all the time. We thought, yeah. man, this would be, we definitely want to talk about this. There's no question. We had, we had to have it as a topic, which is why we did. And then you agreed to come on the show. So we really appreciate you doing that because in most cases, CEOs are like, yeah, no, I don't want any of that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. you guys got a big audience of, of our users and our customers. And I think, you know, I'm, I don't have to come in here and change minds, but I think, you know, telling what you do, why we do it and all that is a great opportunity for fun and anything we can do to get the word about what we're doing uh, is a great chance for us. So yeah, thanks for having me. Tell, tell us about you and then tell us a little bit about Fama and why do you start? Why does it exist? Tell us about that. Were you not hugged enough as a child, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a very, a very welcoming home. It was nice, nice growing up, uh, but had family issues. Certainly no, uh, wasn't my family issues that, that started uh, uh, the company. So I've been in software uh, ever since really getting out of school, different companies, uh, always enjoyed, you know, working in technology, helping big companies solve tough problems using tech. And uh, one of my companies early on, uh, we hired a guy, looked great on paper, his resume checked out. It was like a VP of sales. There were uh, like 40 recs that we went, we went through for this guy, um, board, board referred uh, guy, VP of sales. He had like 110% quota attainment, eight quarters in a row. He came on board six weeks in. Um, he did something really bad. Um, he sexually assaulted one of our employees, actually. So it was a, a terrible thing to happen. It caused significant fallout for the business. Um, and you know what we found after the fact, this kind of the postmortem that we did was all of this misogynistic and pejorative content online. This guy had posted that had we seen it, you know, we never would have brought the guy on board. So people are always like, how did you start this company? You know, you're like a, a sales guy from startups and you did a couple executive roles at enterprise SaaS companies. You had no HR experience coming into it. 
Um, but it was really experiencing the, the sort of exact pain that we're solving for. So in 2015, uh, I talked to a couple of folks I knew in HR, asked them if they were looking at social media, if they were looking at news and web content, kind of Googling someone, Facebooking someone before bringing them on board. And it turned out a lot of companies were. But, you know, with the FCRA and and all the litigation around protected classes and the EEO, a lot of them, you know, it was sort of this unspoken thing that was happening in HR and talent acquisition where recruiters were kind of absentmindedly, you know, Googling people or Facebooking people and seeing stuff they really shouldn't see when trying to find that kind of needle in the haystack. So uh, we saw the problem as being big enough that we wanted to, you know, build some technology to automate the most manual tasks of that process. So that's why we built Fama. It's uh, not like people always think we're like scoring people or giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down or making a recommendation on a candidate, because I think that's where with the history of data abuse, we just see, you know, that's where our, our mind kind of naturally drifts to. Um, but what the software does is it identifies certain types of content online. So a business will really define and say, you know, here are the behaviors online that we'd want to know about. It could be harassment, threats, bigotry, violence, et cetera, Le language and alcohol, too, as you saw in the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, and just like a background check, if we find, you know, something on a person's complete digital identity, it's not just social media. We look at like uh, non-courthouse litigation, so stuff in like LexisNexis, business journals, social media, news, web content. Um, if something falls into one of those categories that a company defined as relevant to their pre-employment process, we add it to a report um, and we have a, a web-based dashboard where we do that and also uh, a PDF copy of it. So really, it's about customers defining these are the behaviors that we care about. We want to know if these exist um, in a person's digital background, operates just like a background check. The candidate signs a consent form. They get a chance to go through the pre-adverse process. If the employer wants to take action on that report, contest the results. Um, and yeah, the employer makes the determination. So we're, we're automating something that's been done manually for a long period of time. Now, our candidates, are, I, assume, I assume they'll do this as they're an employee as well, right? They can sort of sporadically throughout their tenure do these kinds of checks that they're signing. They're signing off on that, right? There's a lot, mostly no. There's <laughs> a lot of talk around continuous monitoring in the background screening industry. It's something that I think was one of Sherm's hot trends for, for 2019 that just from what I've seen, there's a lot of interest, but not a lot of adoption. Uh, just like with the background screen and the pre-employment phase, like I think the business has a clearly defined business need to do it. Like I've seen some some government contractors who will do it for reasons of national security, but by and large, like most companies are doing this from a pre-employment standpoint. When I say most companies, I mean like 98% uh, are doing this for pre-employment. Okay, so they're they're basically signing off on yes, a background check, but are are they specifically signing off on sort of a social media review or online presence? Um, and if not, how are you verifying that? You know, this Twitter account is this person, or this news item is actually that person. Um, if they're not actually giving you their Twitter handle um, as part of the, the approval process. Yeah. So basically with the disclosure and authorization process, just like a background check where it says we're going to look at, you know, credit data, criminal data, companies will amend that disclosure and authorization and include social media, news and web content. Um, most employers, what they'll do is some will ask for the social media handles. Many will not. You're not allowed to ask for like the password, of course, but some companies will ask for the social handles. But we actually, on our end, employ kind of a mix of both automated and human intelligence just because finding 
and human intelligence, I mean, literally dedicated analysts that sit in our office in LA that confirm that the social media profiles or news and web articles or litigation belong to the subject in question. So it's a mix of both automation and having a real person like confirm that these subjects uh, or, or the, excuse me, these articles or profiles belong to the subject. So, so if I just, you know, five years ago, hated Chad Sowash and started up a Twitter handle, Chad Sowash is amazing or something and <laughs> put out some tweets about all, everything offensive possible. How would you guys be able to tell that that's not really Chad Sowash? You mean if you created a fake Chad Sowash account and Correct. started posting under his acronym? Correct. Name. Uh, it's, you know, that is a disclaimer that we offer because we get that question in a more like what we have seen is people who will leave their social logged in at like the library or uh, at an Apple store or something like that. Like that's the, the more typical question that comes up. And, you know, we we do offer like the end to end kind of uh, disclaimer of saying, hey, we, this person could be the victim of computer hacking, which is why it's so important, I think, that the candidate in every chance that one of these reports is run, if there is going to be action taken, uh, gets a chance to review the results and, and contest and explain. Um, but, you know, we do from an automated and human standpoint under the FCRA, you have to, you know, pursue maximum possible accuracy. That's one of the core tenants of it. So we have kind of a, a multi-step process on our end to try and determine if that was the case, if there was a victim of computer hacking, if it was like a new social media profile that was created or, you know, the, the friend network only has two friends or something like that. Right. Or, you know, there's certain like backend technology things that you can do to look at that. But um, it's also just highly trained experts that know what to look for and do this day in and day out. Gotcha. And, and what sources are you looking at? And are you getting that information via like APIs or scraping? Yeah. So it's social media, news, web content. So you can kind of think of the publicly available web. And, you know, obviously there've been a lot of changes to APIs over the past couple of years. So we've had to kind of uh, change our approach as those API restrictions have evolved. Okay. So I'm going to name some sites and you tell me if you monitor them or not. <laughs> okay. okay Twitter. Um, so yeah. So social media, Twitter, Facebook, yes, Instagram. Yes or no is fine. Uh, Facebook. Yes. LinkedIn. Um, no, we, we have LinkedIn profiles, but we don't, uh, we don't screech, uh, screen through LinkedIn content. Snapchat. Nope. TikTok. Nope. Instagram. Yes. Reddit. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Ben on the website says the smartest way to screen toxic work behavior and also talks about problematic behavior among potential hires and current employees. So who defines what toxic or pro, a problematic behavior is? So our clients will define like they essentially have a pick list of certain types of behaviors that they want to look at and zero in on in every pre-employment screen that they do. We use the word toxic and problematic as kind of a uh, single kind of uniting category or term for things like violence, threats against others, bigotry, harassment, etc., so that, you know, actual like umbrella definition is something that, you know, we've found just general agreement on with our clients as we develop the solution is that's the, the rough overall description of the category. But mm -hmm. clients will ultimately define in every pre-employment screen that they do whether or not, uh, you know, a certain type of behavior is toxic for their organization. You might be a, a tech company, for example, that, you know, you really only care about the worst of the worst, you might be a, you know, a much more conservative organization that wants to take a wider approach. But ultimately, it's about defining the business reason for screening this sort 
of you know uh, uh, behavior online. A company has to be able to draw a straight line between saying this is why we're looking at this information and this is how we justify you know in the same way looking at certain types of databases. We use that example. Um, you know, for uh, like a DUI, right? If you have a DUI in a role that you're never driving, you're never behind the wheel, um, can an employer really use that in a background screen and take action on it? Yeah, but Many this is something, no. Ben, no. this is, I mean, this is something that is contextual. And, and we all know that AI is not where we wish it would be, where it could actually understand the context of many of the conversations that are actually happening, especially when you're talking about broken conversations, right? And right. if somebody is liking a tweet that your algorithm really doesn't understand yet because it doesn't, it, it hasn't actually worked through the understanding and the auditing to ensure that it, it knows what the hell is going on out there, there are flags that can be pushed out around bigotry and sexism and obviously alcohol and things like that, that really don't make sense. Right. So I guess <laughs> yeah, from, sure. from from our standpoint, because we work with AI companies all of the fucking time. So we know that the context piece is very, very hard, especially when you're talking about in, in a social environment and unstructured mm. data to be able to actually flag people. So, I mean, from my standpoint, sure. it's really hard to say, yeah, we can just go after toxic behavior, problematic behavior. Well, you don't you don't know what that really is in the context of the conversation, do you? Yeah, it's it's a great point. Look, and, and I think that's when we were building the technology. Mm. That's why we didn't want to put the, the label on the person or the label on the individual and instead winnow down what is, you know, huge amounts of online information that employers were, you know, in many cases looking at anyway, uh, to the sort of categories that they had defined as specifically relevant. And in the cases where we are absolutely always trying to improve our AI and to take that step of making those content models as, you know, as accurate as possible, meaning to say, what is this piece of content? about what is this text about, you know, even people, I think, disagree on, you know, what something like bigotry is, or what, you know, a violent threat is, or something like that, that's made online. So the context is difficult to ascertain. But I think, you know, our approach has been, let's put, you know, this, this sort of category of content and labeling the content itself, and then providing that to both the employer and the candidate, to have a conversation about what's there. And in many cases, you know, you're right. If, if it is inaccurate information, the employer then will, will look at it and say, you know what, I, I see why, you know, the AI thought that this was bigotry or something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're uh, at a point where this isn't the type of bigotry that, that we're concerned about. So it is that, you know, very, I think, healthy conversation between the candidate and the employer that we see that allows us to get around it. But I absolutely acknowledge what you're saying and, and agree that we we and, and many others have a long way to go of, of being accurate uh, and you're 100% accurate when we're organizing this content um, online. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. Andy, for clients that are sort of married to email and a little hesitant to text messaging, what would you tell them? That text messaging is part of any integrated strategy. There's not one size fits all for anybody. 
job seekers opt into different forms of communication, whether it's with Next or anybody else. They might want to receive email. They might want to receive SMS. They might want to receive targeted retargeting on their desktops. So it's one piece of an overall puzzle. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. Now, if I was if I was a candidate and and the company sent me 350 pages uh, there and I was in the interview process, I would call the hiring manager back and say, you can go fuck yourself because there's no way there's no way that I want any company to big brother my ass and think that I don't even have my individual right to be able to have conversations. Now, the entire package, to be quite frank, could all be good. But overall, don't you think this is something that would repel great talent to get away from an organization like that? I think, you know, ultimately what the employer cares about, what the employer is screening for is the determinant of the culture that I want to work for. I agree, you know, even at our company, right? We don't, we use our own technology and, and we don't screen for things like profanity and alcohol because, it's not something that, that we think is relevant to building a healthy and productive culture here or even, you know, protecting our corporate brand in the marketplace. So, you know, I think if the employer and the candidate have a clear understanding around the, the channel um, of communication, what we're trying to create, what we're attempting to do when we do this sort of screening and why, I think that's when you know, certainly the candidate can can rally around that concept and rally around that idea. But certainly if, a, if an employer is screening for things that are misaligned with what you as a candidate care about, if you say, well, you care about profanity, you know, uh, using profanity, well, you know, like shit, right? What, what am I going to do about it? Right? You know, right. that's, that's yeah. not, you know, that's, that's your call as a candidate. And I, I agree with you. Like it's, it's something where we have this weird kind of middle ground of being, you know, the, the provider of data in some ways, but also, you know, rendering implicitly, I think, judgment in, in how we flag certain types of behaviors. So especially from like a user experience standpoint and how we organize certain types of content. Um, you know, it's funny on the on the Joe Rogan podcast, he talked about, you know, the, the bad and good labels, you know, within that report. And that uh-huh. was something that we had heard from other clients, too. They were like, look, this is, you know, rendering a judgment in some ways. I know you're just organizing content. But to say that, you know, profanity is implicitly bad, like that's not bad for our company. Right. And that's not, you know, what we want to communicate from a candidate experience standpoint. So those were some changes, actually, that always, you know, learning lessons when we're trying to, you know, do something new and create tech that's never really been around before, because uh, this is not something where we had a precedent, there wasn't a incumbent that we were replacing that was t- using AI to uh, inform the background screening process by looking at publicly available online information. So how does a company typically um, use the information? Like, I, I think that from the Joe Rogan uh, segment, it sounded like this this uh, candidate got an you know a FedEx in the you know FedEx in the mail. It was three hundred pages of social media you know activity that they thought was negative. Yeah, I mean, right. that's I assume that the company sent that to the candidate. I am sure that you did not, and I'm sure that most companies would do it much more uh, diplomatic than that, and they would sit down with the person and say we have some concerns. But I also think that. You know, do companies look at these uh, reports and say, no, we're not going to hire that guy or gal. And then they just say, you know, 
due to the background check information, we're not going to move forward with the hiring? Like, do they have to provide the information that they received from your site? How do companies typically engage in this way? Yeah. So first, it is atypical. We had never heard of a company printing out a report like that and, and sending it to a candidate. And that obviously being you know, in, in California and ecologically minded, that was not something that was representative <laughs> of what we do <laughs> as, a, as a company. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's totally cool. Um, so companies are legally required, just like with the background screen, to send a copy of report if you want to take action on it. Uh, California, June, Jan 1, 2020, it shifted where regardless of if a company is taking action on a report, they're required uh, to send a full copy of the background screen. It's kind of this CCPA, FCRA uh, new legislation that's come out where some companies are just sending the background check regardless, um, even if they're not taking action on it. And I was surprised to see that someone would print that out um, because that is not not what we do. But look, I mean, there's going to be different ways that, that people want to communicate with their candidates. But most employers, you ask how they're using it. It's not always like a binary. Are we going to fire this person? Are we not going to move forward with them? A lot of times, you know, it can be a conversation with saying, hey, you know, just we saw this online. Just want to let you know this is not reflective of our culture, or our brand, what we're trying to do here. So it's not always uh, this question of, you know, is this person going to work with us or not? And if we see the FAMA report, we're just not going to hire that person. There is a careful consideration, adjudication matrices that companies develop. Like I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, Ben. I, I've been working with Fortune 500 companies for way too long to think that they have a great process in place. And that being said, one of the things it says, says on the website which I think is great to an extent. Our technology helps businesses identify thousands of job relevant behaviors such as uh, racism or harassment without exposing hiring managers to unnecessary risk and or manual work. Manual work, I think, is awesome because we should use technology to be able to, to, to knock that down. But from the standpoint of risk, if these companies start to, uh, much like you'd said before, they have this checklist, if they check everything down when it comes to language and alcohol and all these things, they really start to open themselves up to more risk if they use that against hiring. But they're opening themselves up to more risk because they have to defend the, the, the information that they have in front of them. Right. Right. And that's I mean, that's the challenge with, you know, I think the hardest part of adoption for us and the biggest learning curve was was less about the technology and more about the adjudicative process that a company sets up that supports its effective deployment. You know, when you have this question of where do we draw the line as a business, because Look, nobody wants to be. I, I hear you on on many HR leaders not not using uh, a ton of process, but with Fama because it's so net new, and because of that implication of saying, you know, hey, we don't want to end up on the Joe Rogan podcast or something like that and have right. that brand blowback. You know, companies do take a very careful approach to how we want to draw that line, where we draw the line, and also who's involved in in the construction of that conversation. It's employee relations, it's legal, it's HR, it's talent acquisition. Where the opposing force of saying, okay, we don't want this harassing, bigoted behavior in the workforce. These are things that we've either been burned by internally. That's been a public news story about, you know, uh, uh, our employees or, uh-huh. you know, uh, executives acting in a very public way that's detrimental to our brand value. Or maybe it never got out, but we just know, you know, empirically what the blowback is internally for missing out on this information. And it's that 
you know, discussion of the opposing forces. And, and I think, you know, frankly, it's driven by consumers and employees who have higher expectations of the companies that they buy from and the companies that they work for. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it is it is a really careful conversation, though, but you have to, as you just said, justify the business reason uh, that why you're going to do this. And if you can't justify it, then you know, yeah, sorry, go ahead. because if you can't justify it and you can't defend it, there is a huge opportunity for discrimination. So I, I have 20 years sure. in the military, right? So whether it's, you know, active duty or, or uh, the Army Reserves and I interact and I speak with. Uh, in different context with individuals outside of the boardroom, different than I do inside of the boardroom, especially if we, we have this, this, this brotherhood, this military connection. And right. from that standpoint, companies who are trying to hire veterans, that could be seen possibly from this algorithm as negative, not to mention also individuals who are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, right? These are right. the things that I think we have to really clamp down on, especially after we saw Amazon shut down an algorithm because it pro it was proven that it started to teach itself more bias. Yep. So this is the thing that is incredibly important to me is that, yes, I believe technology can help us through many of these tasks. Although, how are you guys ensuring that the audit trail is it's, it's looked at very closely? It's incredibly important yep. because discrimination can pop up. Absolutely. First off, Totally agree with what you're saying. And this is something that we talk about a lot internally. I mean, it's this question of adverse impact on certain groups to, you know, extending your metaphor even further. Are there certain people that tend to post more online that then might have a greater chance of being flagged by something like Fama just because of the fact that they're posting more on the Internet? And there are demographics, obviously, that post more online than others. Right. So does that mean that they have less of a fair shot? at, you know, what, uh, uh, getting a job or an employer taking action, right? So, you know, there are algorithmic techniques and technology techniques that you can take to try and identify adverse impact and run essentially blind studies on your own data across a wide cohort of people. Now, the, the right way to do that is to try and obtain, uh, there's something called like the, a construct validation study, which essentially allows you to look at whether or not your algorithm, we've done that, you know, internally, but whether or not your algorithm um, is creating an adverse impact on a certain group. And while we've taken those steps, the real way to do that would be to have companies actually supply like full gender, age, race, to, you know, race information on the candidates, which they would never do, right? Companies would never, nor would we want to handle that data on behalf of our clients. So this question of adverse impact, you know, it's, it's one that is difficult. But to your point, there's also the, the technology question, right, of how do we find the middle ground. And I think, you know, if we were talking about a technology like Waze, like if, if there was a fully automated, here's how you get there, here's where you take the left, here's how you avoid the traffic, right, to find the candidate that you're looking for, and here's your answer. I think we expose ourselves to a lot more potential for that algorithmic bias to creep in because I think, and I don't know the full detail on Amazon's story, but I think that was like, that was a resume parser, right? That was recommending people for certain jobs. Is that the, the Amazon uh, reference? In, yeah, a little to? bit more than that. But yeah, yeah, it was using past behavior. Uh, so it was using it, the algorithm was learning off of past behaviors and it, autom it, it learned how to become biased. Right. Right. So I think with us, you know, the, the thing that we really tried to zero in on is how can we help HR and talent acquisition do their jobs more efficiently and do their jobs better while letting their intuition around the sorts of things that you're talking about here and their experience around making sure that they're not taking a adverse impact approach the way that they hire 
letting the people really shine and thrive as opposed to having the algorithm do all the work. We call it kind of human augmented intelligence instead of artificial intelligence, which is Uh basically to try and bring a user to the precipice of action, not to tell them what to do, but try and reduce all the noise that allows their intuition and their ability to take hold and drive that final decision as opposed to a computer doing it for you. So it's not like consumer tech. I think enterprise AI is a totally different ballgame and something that requires people much more than, you know, what we use our phones for on a day in day out basis. All right, Ben. Thanks for your thanks for your time. And uh, for those of our listeners who want to learn more about you and your company, where should they go? Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, fama.io, F-A-M-A.io is our website. And uh, yeah, we'd love to uh, hear from anyone that's interested in what we're doing, has further questions. And yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. It, uh, it means a lot, Chad and Joel, and I, I appreciate it. So thanks again. Thank you, Word man. Up. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? podcast the chad the cheese brilliant they talk about recruiting they talk about technology but most of all they talk about nothing just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know and yet you're listening it's incredible and not one word about cheese not one cheddar blue nacho pepper jack swiss so many cheeses and not one word so weird Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.